Welcome to this episode of Stacks and Stories, the podcast of the Mississippi Library Commission. On today's episode, Pod Squad members Tracy Carr and Shelley Ziegler talk about some of their favorite nonfiction books. Please note that the following audio has been pulled from the video Our Favorite Nonfiction Shelf Absorbed, originally recorded on September 10th, 2020. The audio has been edited to fit the podcast format. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to another episode of Shelf Absorbed. Hey, Shelley. Hey, I'm so happy to be here today. I just love talking about books with you. Well, what kind of books are we going to talk about today? Today, we're going to talk about our favorite nonfiction titles. I am a big fan of nonfiction. I go back and forth. I like the fake people and I like the real things. I'm not generally a nonfiction reader, but when we just decided we were going to talk about this, I did find that I have really read a lot of nonfiction in the past. So it was really easy for me to find some that I really loved. But unlike you, I don't like mix fiction with nonfiction usually. I'm usually a straight fiction person. Well, you want to start? Yeah, I have um, my favorite nonfiction. Okay, and I only have a copy of the title. It's called Stumbling on Happiness by Daniel Gilbert. Now, I want to say I'm very upset that I don't have my copy because I have a personal copy at home and I had all these notes in it. And when I went to go and get it for this episode, I could not find it. And I think I loaned it out and never got it back. So Uh. So guess what I did? I promptly ordered another one on Amazon because that's how much I love this book. So Stumbling on Happiness, it's pop psychology, but at its best, okay? It's really about why we are so bad as humans at predicting what will make us happy. We think we know, but we often make the wrong choices. Here, I will give you an example that's used in the book. When you go out to eat, and let's say you go somewhere that you really like and you go a lot, and you kind of have a favorite dish there. I do this. Oftentimes I'll think, oh, maybe I'll try this new entree or this special, and I'll get it. And I am usually unhappy because I didn't go with what I know I like. You Mm -hmm. see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So uh, oftentimes as humans, we do this consistently. We usually have a gut reaction of what we know will make us happy, but it's that feeling of, but what about the unknown? Maybe that will make me happier. And it usually doesn't. And in this book, there's all kinds of examples of real people and situations where this has happened. One example that I really love that Dan uses because you know he's my buddy, Dan. Yeah, I was just about to point out, y'all are on a first name basis. He's my buddy. There's a lot of happiness studies that happen, but there was a study on happiness. They took people who won the lottery, won like a big amount of money, and then people who had some type of horrible accident and lost a limb. Okay, so if you had a choice between those two, you would probably choose to win the lottery right? You probably would not choose to lose your leg. But then then they reevaluated these people a year later, and their happiness quotient was about the same. Hmm. So we actually normalize to what happens to us. 
and we usually come back to the same level of happiness. So anyway, it's just fascinating. It's humans are fascinating and weird people. And I just love this whole concept of happiness and what really makes us happy. That is really fascinating that, uh, that idea that you normalize whatever your situation is. So, so at first the people that won the lottery were a little happier than the people of course who lost their leg. But a year later, there wasn't much of a difference. Hmm. So there you go. That's yeah. all I'm going to say about that one. I highly recommend it. And it's just that cute little cover there. Do we and not have it in our collection? I do not know. I did not check. Okay. But if we don't, I'm going to order a copy. I will have my new copy tomorrow in yeah. the mail. I've probably read it two times now, which for me, I don't really do a lot of rereading, but I highly recommend this one. I'm trying to pick which one to go with as a follow-up. <laughs> follow-up to the happiness. Yeah. And I think I'm going to go with Stiff oh, by Mary Roach. Yeah. I've not read that, but I've heard about it. It's called Stiff, The Curious Lives of Human Cadavers. I'm just saying what this makes me happy. follow-up from happiness <laughs> cadavers. The thing is, what happens to our bodies after we die is something that we don't often talk about, learn about. It makes everyone uncomfortable. We don't really, as humans, want to dwell on death, and we really don't want to think about, you know, our physical forms once we have, we have left them. And Mary Roach is a hilarious science writer. She has the best footnotes and she's written yeah. a lot of titles, mm. correct? Like she's got several. She has. Yeah, this was the first one of hers I read, and I just absolutely loved it. She spends a lot of time going over what happens when you donate your body to science. Uh-huh. And the first chapter, it's called A Head is a Terrible Thing to Waste. And it's about the woman who cuts the heads off at the uh, whatever the cadaver farm. It's not really called a cadaver farm, but no, but I like, I think it should be. Yeah, it is. There is, it is a farm of sorts in that it's at the university of Tennessee and, and there's a lot of space there, but anyway, she talks to the head chopper offer. There's a chapter about grave robbers who are really called resurrectionists. That's a much better name. It is. It's a little PC, you know, makes it a little prettier. There's a, the diary entries of this, like, you know, grave robber from the 1800s. And he does a lot of drinking, you know, kind of drives you to that lifestyle. But he doesn't refer to the bodies. He doesn't ever give them any kind of, he refers to them as things when he has to refer to them. So like his diary will say, picked up a thing, thing bad. Thing bad means that it's really decomposing. But don't worry, if you happen to dig up a body in this time period, and it's real bad off, you can still make a little profit by selling the teeth to a dentist who will just use those teeth to make dentures. And that's where old-timey dentures come from. I did not know that. (laughs) That is really interesting. It is. All kinds of things about the embalming process and how bodies are used as crash test dummies. And then this, this part near the end, she wrote an article, and, and it's in here, about the Harvard Brain Lab and how she wanted to donate her brain because she wanted just to be a brain in a jar, you know, but it, it's not like that. So in this part, this man is slicing into a brain, you know, 
as you do. And it said, it had been flash frozen and did not slice cleanly. It sliced as does a Butterfinger with little shards crumbling off. She like veers towards irreverence, but always writes herself because it is scientific. She's just kind of like, whoa, you know, describing what she sees. It's more interesting. Yes. It's not entertainment writing, but it's an entertaining way to approach a scientific subject. Anyway, it's a hoot. I super recommend it. I have always thought I would either donate my body to science or donate my organs. So I'm really interested in that. I wish there was a book about what happens when people donate their organs and how that works. Mm-hmm. There's, there's probably something out there. I definitely am a big fan of the idea of donating whatever level you're comfortable you with. Um, all the people you can help and your body is just not, you know, you're, yeah, you're obviously Your body's not done. You're, you're done with it. That's cool. That's cool. It was, it's a good one. It's a good one. Okay, so my next one is totally, we're going somewhere else, okay? We're going to talk about Elvis. Ooh, ooh. Elvis and Me by Priscilla Presley. I have to give a caveat. Growing up in Indiana, I was fascinated with Elvis. There's no reason for me. You came to the right, you ended up in the right place. I ended up in the right place. And I was especially fascinated by his marriage to Priscilla. As many people know, he met her in Germany when he was stationed over there. And her father's in the military. And she was 14 when they started dating. Gross. Okay, yeah. And I think he's like 10 years older than her. I mean, no, he was an adult human man. Yeah, I mean, he was in his 20s. And she's 14. It's ooky. What I find icky that is talked about in this book is Priscilla tries to rationalize why her parents let her date Elvis at the age 14 and go spend time with him at his house in Germany. Anyway, I love weird facts about people. I love people that just do weird things. And as you know, history has told us, Elvis was kind of a weirdo. You know, mm-hmm. he ate, what did he eat? Those peanut butter fluffer sandwiches. Is, is that right? Peanut butter and banana and it's peanut delicious. Peanut butter and banana. That's it. Okay. Have uh, you not had peanut butter and banana together? No, I don't really like banana. Well, my I, standard I, snack is banana with peanut butter. Peanut butter, peanut butter fluffer nutter. Anyway, so we all know about that. But once he got Graceland and he moved there and she actually came over, she was still in high school. And she lived with him. And, you know, he was known for his drugs and, you know, his uppers and downers. And he would stay up all night, have parties. Well, she would also stay up all night. And then she went to a Catholic school. And then she would get up or not get up, you know, take her uppers and go to school. And she finished high school while she was still living with Elvis. Now, there are 72 photos in this book. Ooh. I have this book since I was like 18. I really, the book came out like 1985. Yeah, I I remember it coming out. And we, we have two, two copies here at the library commission. Perfect. Elvis had a very particular way he liked his women to look. Are you ready for Priscilla and how he liked her to look? Oh, yes. Yeah. He liked that hair. He liked that makeup. Here she is in 1985, you know, beautiful woman. 
Yeah. But he liked her like that. She doesn't trash Elvin. She just talks about, she, I mean, she's honest about how he would, you know, take drugs and stay up all night. But she actually, it's very endearing. You can tell she really loved him. But what I liked so much about this book, and you will really appreciate, is at the time she wrote it, she was an actress and she was on Dallas. You know, <laughs> it, it's my favorite show right now, uh, the it, old one that we're both even, watching. It even you have yes, it ends. It says um, she's a motion picture and television actress, currently starring in the number one television series of the world, Dallas. As it should be, number one. Yeah, as it should be. So that's my second pick. Well, first, quickly, I grew up in a very Elvis loving household and. I named all of my dolls and stuffed animals. They were all named Priscilla. This is just, you know, just one of those things. So this is a Mississippi tie-in and it's an autobiography. This is Coming of Age in Mississippi by Ann Moody. So slightly different than Priscilla Bolio Presley and her experiences growing up. And actually, like, you know, Priscilla's 14 when she meets Elvis. Ann Moody was the same age as Emmett Till. And she, first of all, it's 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 her biography from, you know, there's a childhood section in high school. And then she becomes involved in the civil rights movement. And there's a lot of stuff about that. Her college life, her activism. But she grows up extremely poor in Centerville, Mississippi, which is where my parents are from. You know, when she's talking about this region of Mississippi, um, it's very much alive for me. Mm -hmm. What's weird is I've never lived there. I mean, I grew up in Texas, but when she talks about certain families, I know a good many of them. I can figure out who she's talking about, which I think is amazing. I've never lived there. And I can still such a weird feeling and a great connection. It is. And so what I have discovered and I think I've talked about this in another recording or podcast, is that if the person is nice, she went with their real name. And if she's saying something ugly about him, she gives him a fake name, which I think is a very nice way to go. She was a domestic worker for white families in Centerville. And she really was, you know, going to school, taking care of other people's kids and cleaning their houses. And she really wasn't aware of what was going on in the world. And so she's walking home one day and all these kids are talking about Emmett Till and she has no idea what they're talking about. She was like, what, what, what happened? And she goes home and asks her mother who flies into a rage and says, never talk about that stuff again. And she didn't understand it at the time, but it was very dangerous for black people to talk about atrocities in this time because someone would hear them and then they would be the next the next victim. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And she overhears one of the women she works for talking about the NAACP. And she keeps asking people, what is this? She looks in her dictionary. She can't figure out what this word means. And she finally asks a teacher who invites her over for dinner. And she would answer all of her questions and tell her all about what was happening with Emmett Till and other lynchings, the history of lynchings mm-hmm. and It's this moment of awakening about what the world is. Anne knew that the world was not equal. But she didn't know how unequal it was. She didn't know. 
there's a part where she says something like, it's something about how at least when people kill an animal, they eat it or they use it for something. They use it some way. But yeah. when white people kill black people, it's just out of hatred. Mm-hmm. And she was like, That's we are true. lower than animals. And that, her world changes in that moment. She was already like, this sucks. It's unequal the way I have to, I mean, we're, she was so poor and had to work so hard. But that changes the rest of her life, basically. So that photo that I'm sure you've seen of mm-hmm. the yes. Woolworth protesters or the sit-in and the people are dumping mustard and sugar, mm-hmm. that's Ann Moody. That, that's her. Wow. I, I say this is required reading for. I'm going to put that on top of my list. I really am. That, this um, is also available as a book club in a box. So libraries can borrow this for their patrons to do. They get 10 copies, right? You get 10, 10 copies 10 and copies. some discussion mm-hmm. questions. That would be a great book club pick. It I would. Think. It that would. would. That would bring up a lot of discussion and sharing, especially Even, if you were yeah, raised outside. here outside of what her life becomes with activism and she's just it's a really good story she Mm -hmm. she's a a great writer it's very compelling like sometimes you start a book and you know it takes about 50 pages sometimes yeah oh no listen page two you are in it with her like her voice is so compelling so anyway i loved it well thank you that's a that's a good sell that's a I'm, i'm moving it up my list Are you ready for high anxiety? Life with a bad case of nerves. But look at this bunny. Aw, he's peeking. He's cute, but the book is about anxiety. It's written by Kat Kinsman. She's a food writer. She's all right. I deal with anxiety, and I talk about this a lot, and I I don't um, try to hide and what I loved about this book is it's a memoir of sorts. So she does talk about her past and growing up and how she was a child with anxiety and how they just said she was nervous. You know, she would do things with her hands and they're like, oh, stop being nervous. And I remember being that child and having, and then, you know, when I'm young, when you're younger, you don't have labels for things and you don't know how to always describe your feelings. So I didn't know what was wrong with me and why I was so, you know, nervous, so to speak. This woman, Kat, she just bears her soul. It's humorous. You know, she takes a serious topic and makes it funny and easy to read. It's such an honest portrayal of anxiety because I think anxiety is often misunderstood like a lot of mental illnesses. I just loved it. I will say that if you do have anxiety and you read it, which is, this is probably appeals to people who who have anxiety. It does sort of trigger anxiety, especially when you read about what she went through trying to figure out what was different about her and why she felt this way. And so it did trigger some anxiety in me. So if that's something that you don't want to feel, this may not be a good book for you, but it's a hopeful and optimistic book about anxiety. So, I mean, it's such a cute title. Hi, anxiety. The title is amazing. My dear friend who lives with me all the time. (laughs) That's interesting. Like, and I don't know if that's just because people identified what anxiety was or it became normalized, but 
people don't say they're nervous anymore, you know? No, and, you know, women, especially in the past, like, you know, you'd be like, oh, she's a nervous woman. I always wonder about the whole concept of a nervous breakdown. I think that should be probably recoined. I don't know what you call it, but, but you're right. People don't use the word nervous. They'll say, I'm feeling anxious, Mm -hmm. you know? Which is good because it means that anxiety does not, having and generalized anxiety disorder is not as stigmatized as it used to be. Right. So that's what I have to say about that. I may read high anxiety. Hi, anxiety. Hi, anxiety. <laughs> well, I have, I'm not saying that this will cure anyone's anxiety because, you know, it's not a thing that you can just feel calm. And, but this little book. Oh, that's so cute. Called Ex Libris, Confessions of a Common Reader by Anne Fadiman. It is the sweetest, most calming book about the love of reading ever. So this book was designed to read in the bathtub. This it's just like something I should read. You know what? You would, you would actually really love this book. But I have to warn you that the print is very oh, small. Is it? So oh. you get your little magnifying you know, glasses I have to get my reading glasses out. <laughs> it's just about like discovering big words, new words that you don't know. I learned one today. Sesquipedalian. It means big words. Oh. It means like really long words or a word that is really long. It's an adjective. Yeah. There's a chapter about most everyone has a an area that they're really interested in that's kind of like in in their reading that's kind of wildly divergent from all the other books like you know you have your thrillers and you have your mysteries and then there's suddenly like all these books about something weird it's called my odd shelf and hers is about people who climb mount everest and stuff i have an odd shelf what's your odd shelf about well i like to read well and and you know this i like anything where someone it's usually memoirs about someone that has a weird medical problem ah you know and so i love when people share a story about you know this was never diagnosed and this is what i went through and 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 you know i typically do like thrillers and mysteries but then i like those non-fiction memoirs about my medical problem Mm mm-hmm I got super into, and this is very specific, I got super into the 1904 World's Fair in St. Louis. So I have several books about the 1904. I don't care about the other World's Fair, Shelly. Okay. Um, All the the other ones. Is it the one where the book is called Devil in the White City? No. No. No, What I mean is like like nonfiction books about, about, but that one is actually set in Chicago. Um, Okay. So Devil in the White City, I think is like the 1893 World's Uh, Fair. So I did read, I read it and I enjoyed it, but it wasn't my World's Fair. That's not the one that I'm. Why is that your, like why 1904? I lived in uh, St. Louis for a year and the neighborhood I lived in was directly across the street from Forest Park, which is this giant, free, wonderful park. The Mm -hmm. zoo is there. And I actually lived right across the street from the zoo and the zoo was free. So every day on my walk, I would just walk through and see all my animal friends. How nice would that be? But the zoo was built as a part of the World's Fair. And there were several structures that were built for the World's Fair that were still around, like the art museum that was still there was built for the World's Fair. So I was just like literally across the street where all of these people came and saw these wonders. 
And I'm also interested in like, oh, here's a weird butter sculpture. Like that kind of stuff amuses me. Uh-huh. The things that people used to find amusing uh-huh. amuses me. So that that's one of my odd shelf thing. And the other is like historical medical stuff. And this is not what, actually one of my books, but it lives on my desk all the time. And I have a copy at my house. This serious about this book. Anomalies and Curiosities of Medicine, originally published in 1896. This is my idea of a good time. Friday night. A good Friday night read. Yeah. Like, ooh, I think I'll read about anomalies of the epiglottis. And I think you have brought that top, that title up to me. And I always think, oh, I need to get a copy. And I never do. So I'm going to make it. It's always checked out to me. So you can just come down and take it. That's not even one of my nonfiction ones I picked for Uh today, but that is my odd shelf, like weird medical things. I just read this book called The Mystery of the Exploding Teeth, and it's historical, funny, weird stories. I mean, they're not all funny. Is that the one I saw on your your Instagram? Yes. I finished it the other night. That one, um, I definitely did put on list three. Yeah, that one, that one is the accessible version of my favorite. And, and there were some stories I was like, Ooh, I know this one. There was a French prisoner who hid a toolbox in a place in his body, but then he couldn't get it out and then he died. So it's, it's a lot, there's a lot that of, it is fascinating to me. Listen, I, it was like a six inch toolbox. That's all I'll say about that. But that is the world's fair and weird. I don't want to read about current people and their weird suffering i want to hear about people 200 years ago yeah who thought their tumor was something else and then the weird way they tried to take it out and i really love reading about surgeries where there's no anesthesia i don't know i just really like it i'm not making fun of you because i think that's fascinating but back to ex libris oh i don't i couldn't find our library copy this is one another one that we have a book club kit for so if your book club, obviously, if you're in a book club, you love to read, this would be a very pandemic-friendly book club pick. There is nothing stressful or bad about this book. And I think so, a lot of people need those types of reads right now. Yes, it is a comfort theory. read for sure. And plus it's little essays. So I know a lot of us during, while we were, you know, shut down and at home, I had trouble reading. I didn't have a good... Well, your whole life was changed. I mean, yeah. and so therefore the way you saw the world was changed. So these are little sense. essays. These, these are like four or five pages and it could ease you back into reading. A good one. I have another downer. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. It's called, this wasn't supposed to happen to me. And the a subtitle is 10 make or break choices. When life steals your dreams and rocks your world. Steals your dreams. That's right. Yeah. Okay. I need to say that the person who wrote this book used to be my therapist. Oh my gosh. It's Dr. Bev Smallwood. It was when I was living in Hattiesburg. She still has a clinic there in Hattiesburg. I have a little, she even signed my coffee. She just gives me some motivational thing. This was in 2008. So what happened to me in 2008 was I got divorced and then she published this book 
So of course I was seeing her, I was actually originally seeing her with my ex-husband for marriage counseling. And then I started seeing her by myself afterwards. This book is so interesting in that it's basically like the 10 stages we go through when our world falls apart. Some of those are, and I'll just read a few of them. The first one is, I'm fine, really, I'm fine. And I remember going through that after I got divorced. I thought, no, I'll be okay. The second one is poor me. Then you're like, oh, nah, nah. another one is, well, they say everything happens for a reason. And so you try to rationalize, you know, what happened to you. But there's 10 situations and there's 10 ways to make a choice and how you're going to deal with that stage. She also gives examples of real people in a life-changing situation. Some are, I'm not going to say some are minor, because what's life-changing to you is life-changing to you. So, but they're all very different. This book definitely helped me a lot when I was going through my divorce. But I also think it's just helpful in general when life steals your dreams and rocks your world. So it's kind of like the stages of grief, but yeah, it's like more, the stages, more, but it, they're more applicable to just when something horrible happens in your life and right. how you're going to get through that. And your definition of horrible is, you know, everyone's is different. So I don't know. I just thought it was cool that my therapist wrote a book. I will have to read it and we'll have to get it for our collection if we don't have it. This wasn't supposed to happen to me. Wasn't supposed to happen. I wrote her name down. And she's got a website and everything. You can, you can check her out. All right. I have one final book and then we will wrap up our nonfiction tour. This is The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson. She has a brand new book that just came out and it's called Cast, C-A-S-T-E. Uh, it's Oprah's pick right now. So the subtitle of this is The Epic Story of America's Great Migration. If you want a crash course in the Great Migration, racism in America, Jim Crow, Ooh, whatever, yeah. this is the book. This is the book. That's a pretty big book, too. Looks yeah, like. it, is, it is a hefty, there's only 600 pages. Come oh, on. it, it looks a lot bigger. <laughs> yeah, no, I was teasing when I said there's only 600 pages. Well, I mean, um, it's not like a thousand page. But yeah. So instead of just like being a dry history of like, this is what was going on. And then the people left. She tells three stories. Um, she goes back and forth between these three pe real people and uh -huh. the paths their lives took. The first is Ida Mae Gladney, who starts in Chickasaw County, Mississippi. And she ends up going to Chicago. So it's a story of her life and what propelled her to leave and then her life in Chicago and all of that. There's George Starling, who starts in Wildwood, Florida and ends up in New York. And Robert Foster, who starts in Monroe, Louisiana, and ends up in California. So you have these three different people at three different socioeconomic places, seeing what their experiences are in these different, I mean, their experience is the same in that they left where they started to mm -hmm. find a better place with varying degrees of success because, and, and all of these are in, you know, the 30s and 40s. It's still America. There's still racism. There's still heartbreak. But the, how these three different people and people like them 
made these changes is fascinating and you get to know them and love them and know their families. And so when they meet their spouses and have children, like as their lives go on, you really form this bond with these three people. So it's a brilliant way of telling a history. Like these are our friends. These are our characters that we care about Mm -hmm. as they move on in the beginning of the before Ida Mae from Chickasaw County before she leaves for Chicago I had to read this a million times and I just had to go find it this morning to get it right but she had to pick cotton which sounds horrendous I never want to have to do this and she she needed to pick a hundred pounds a day so not knowing anything about cotton like yeah. okay you have to do a hundred hundred I don't know like I don't have a concept of what a hundred pounds of cotton okay and this is why I love this book. So you know what a cotton bowl is, yeah. you know, the little puffy yeah. thing. I do. 70 bowls of that is one pound. 70 bowls Ooh. is a pound. You have to pick 7,000 cotton bowls to get to 100 pounds. It, as she said, it's like trying to pick 100 pounds of feathers. It's, it's oh. that small. It's that light. I couldn't believe that. I could not was their like quota for the day. Yes. Um, Every day. So you get to your hundred and then, you know, you collapse into bed and then you got to get up all over again. That is horrible. It's awful. And so the 7,000 cotton bowls, I will never get over it. I'll be a hundred years old, like whispering to my grandchildren and they'll be like, mama, did you pick cotton? I'm like, no, but I read a book. I can it's tell awful. you what a hundred pounds of cotton is. Seven thousand cotton balls, y'all. But I, you know, as we work at the state library, people often will ask me, like, "Oh, what's the best book about Mississippi? What's what book will? What's a, a historical book about Mississippi?" Mm-hmm. And while this isn't, you know, called the history of Mississippi, it is the history of Mississippi. So I always say you need to read "The Warmth of Other Suns" and then "Rising Tide." Um, by John Barry, which is the story of the Mississippi River, which is also a story about racism and poverty, along with being a story, I mean, a a book about a river. And guess what? It's also available as a book club. Wow, we've got some great book club hits. We do. I mean, this is not like, hey, we're casual readers, but this might be great for like a virtual book club where... Mm -hmm you know, you, you read it at your leisure and then you maybe gather to, to hear some discussion questions. It's a wonderful read. Well, I think we've had some, we had a great multitude of different titles today showing, of course, our differences in what we like to read. And you know what? We didn't really bicker. No, there was was no bickering here. Dang it. Next time we'll have to we'll do have a, little, to, a little bit more of that. We'll know. have to bring back the little spice for <laughs> next. I mean, it's, it's hard to bicker about, like, well, unless you were like, I don't want to hear about know, dead bodies. Like, anxiety. What, Shelly? Are anxiety you Anxiety isn't real. Why yeah. is there a bunny on the cover? Next topic should be more uh, bicker oriented. Yes. I, and maybe our devoted you know, 20 listeners, maybe they're like, oh, this is good. We like it when they don't fight. But I think people probably like it when we um, fight a little. Maybe our devoted listeners, all 20 of them, they, um, maybe they might want to send us some suggestions on what we talk about next time. 
Absolutely. And the best place to do that, there is a general email address for, it goes to our reference desk, but that's a great place to, to send an email, mlcref, mlcref at, and this is a very long email address and I apologize, mlc.lib.ms.us. It's long, sorry. Um, but yeah, if you, if you have a suggestion for something we should bicker about or a topic of we would be kinds glad of books. Suggestions. Yeah, that would be neat. I, I think a mix is good. So, all right, Shelly, thank you for chatting well, with me. I'll be uh, educational today. Yeah, really I'm going to, I'm definitely going to read for, for real stumbling on happiness. That sounds You really, really should because it reads not like a textbook. I don't, it's not like fiction, but it's just, it, it, it flows so well. I think you'll really like it. I think you'll get something out of it. And I really think you should read Ex Libris. I think. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. It's, it. on, it's on my list. In fact, all your books today are on my list. Good. I know. What? Anyway. Well, see you next time. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Stacks and Stories, the podcast of the Mississippi Library Commission. We hope you will tune in next time, and we encourage you to visit your local public library often.